In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for all your love and your kindness towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you always stand at the door knock. Every single day, Lord, every hour, Lord, you're calling me to you. Every hour, Lord, you're calling me, and you're inviting me, Lord, into a new life. Please, Lord, please be amongst us, Lord. Please, Lord, let us hear your words. Every single one of us is here to hear your word, Lord. We're not here to hear um, some fancy uh, thoughts or contemplations or historical information or whatever. We're here to be inspired, Lord Jesus Christ, by you, to live to live the life of Jesus, to live the life of Christ. That's what you've called us to. Nothing less, nothing less than to be Christ in the flesh in the 21st century, in our modern day context, wherever we are, at work, at school, at home. Please, Lord, help let this be a time, Lord, where you shine some light, you open our eyes to be able to see how we can live this, the, this fullness of the life of Christ in our own personal context. In your mighty name we pray through the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So we're starting this. Uh, we're starting a new series today f- during Lent um, about repentance. And um, as a, as I always try to um, be very transparent about my sources and stuff like that, um, uh, I'm using uh, one of Pope Shenouda's books. Um, I've read. I think I've read most of most of his books. And some of them have had a dramatic impact in my life, and this is this is one of them. Um, it's probably probably one of uh, one of the best things that is in writing attributed to him that is available in English. The chapters are really short for those of us like me who are kind of like ADHD-ish. Some of them are you know three pages, some of them are a page and a half, some of them are two pages, um, and some of them are a little bit longer. But you'll and you don't have to read them in order because they're, they're, some of them are his contemplations. Some of them are, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of poems. Um, uh, and they're all on the theme of the themes of repentance and the life of purity. So you'll find um, that uh, a significant amount of the stuff um, that's in the talk today is from this book. The, the cover of this book that you see here is a reprint, a very recent reprint of this book by His Holiness Pope Shenouda, God bless his soul, um, uh, that was retranslated by His Grace Bishop Suriel from Melbourne and printed at St. Vladimir's Press. It's available on Amazon, and the church has ordered about 10 copies or so. Um, you'll find them out on the shelves uh, throughout this week um, and so on. There is um, uh, a, an earlier edition which is available, which is also relatively good. Um, the English is pretty good and, uh, and it's, it's, it's very, very readable um, in, com- in comparison to other things that are translated uh, from other languages and such. Also, same title, The Life of Repentance and Purity by Pope Shenouda III, and it's available in PDF online. If you have any difficulty getting a hold of either, if you want the newer edition or the older edition, if you want an electronic edition or a paper edition, just reach out to me 
um, and uh, and the church will be very happy to help you to help you out with that. Very uh, suggested reading for um, for Holy Week this year. Jesus tells a story. We don't know if it's a parable. We don't know if it's um, a story that was happening in front of Jesus, like with the widow of the two mites. For for all you know, for all practical intents and purposes, it seems to be something that Jesus observed in front of him, and he was commenting on on behaviors that were happening right before his eyes. Um, but um, Jesus tells this story. And we're not sure if it's a parable or, again, something that was happening in front of him. But he says that a tax collector and a Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I kind of worry sometimes, I tell you the truth, that I do all the right things. I don't actually do all the right things, or at least I don't think I do. But sometimes I worry that that I suffice myself with that, that I suffice myself with that I pray and I tithe and, uh, and I'm, a, I'm a good person, I don't do anything bad to anybody, I, don't, I haven't hurt anybody and so on. But somehow, somehow Jesus' analysis of this situation didn't leave the Pharisee in good standing. And I think each one of us um, can ask ourselves how often... How often am I, do I justify myself and how often am I like the tax collector standing at the back of the church or at the back of the temple or the synagogue praying and asking for forgiveness? In the liturgy of St. Cyril, um, in one of the litanies, we say, and deliver us from the trap of false justification, right? And, and that could very well be what's going on here that when we justify ourselves, our, justi- our justification is false. So what's the opposite of justifying ourselves? Well, I guess it's, it's um, allowing ourselves to receive blame or guilt, I suppose. Um, I'm not a big fan of the word guilt, and we're going to talk about that later on in the series, not so much today. But I think this is all food for thought. And each one of us to ask ourselves, and ask ourselves during the fast, you know, which... Which person do I align myself more with? And who, who do I find myself fitting in with more? I have to tell you the truth. The prayers of our church ask for God's mercy so frequently that sometimes we find it hard to imagine that somebody would ever go to God and not ask Him for mercy, right? But you have to understand the context, the Old Testament context was the people at the time the people at the time um, were uh, being enslaved and they were captives and they, were, and they really believed in the promises of God. And God promised that He would deliver them if they, 
if they held true to him. So they would, they would be praying and telling God, look, we've been faithful to you, now you should be faithful to us. So you'll find a lot of, even in the Psalms, you'll find a, a lot of the Psalms, you'll find that the, 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 the psalmist, whoever wrote the Psalms, King David or other, is saying, Lord, get justice for me. Right? So the person is speaking from a high ground. The church has structured its prayers to gear us towards this, to the, the persona of this tax collector. Like, there's no response in the liturgy that we say more than, Lord have mercy, right? So the church is trying to teach us what the appropriate response to God is. There's this cute little story um, in, a, in a beautiful book by Albert Rossi called... Um, um, becoming a healing presence, and he talks about how he was he was lying on his bed, and his his grandson was like jumping up and down on the bed and and uh, and playing with him. And he tells he tells him, uh, Grandpa, you're you're kind of old. And he says, I suppose I suppose so. And he says, uh, You're gonna die. <laughs> and his grandpa says, uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose I will. He goes, Well, Grandpa, are you gonna go to heaven? Are you going to go to hell? And he says, oh, I don't know. Uh, he says, well, what are you gonna, how are you going to know? And then uh, his grandpa says, well, when I get to heaven, God is going to tell me I gave you a beautiful wife to love her and cherish her and take care of her and care for her the way I, would care, the way I care for you as your heavenly spouse. Were you faithful? And he says, I will look to God. He's telling his grandson. He's trying to explain to his grandson, right? He says, he says to his grandson, I'll turn to God and I'll say, Lord, have mercy. And then he'll say, I gave you three beautiful daughters that you would love them and cherish them and raise them up in the fear of God and be a father to them the way I have been a father to you. Were you faithful? And he says, he'll look to God and say, Lord, have mercy. And then he'll... God will ask him all these other questions. And his answer to every single one of them is, Lord, have mercy. And he says, and he tells his, his grandson, and I believe that God will also look to me and say, yes, indeed, I am merciful. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But the ch you can see now, like from that story, for example, that the church is gearing us, is teaching us, is preparing us for that moment, for that day, for that encounter with where there's no, nothing like, nothing um, concealing anymore the fullness of the person of God. And what am I going to say? What am I going to say when I see the fullness of the love of God for me? When I see how much He has loved me? And when I see the fullness of my life, and how little love I have returned to Him. What am I going to say? The church is preparing us. The church is trying to, to give us the, the right attitudes and the right means and the right words to, in that moment to know not only what to say, but how to be. And so, I once heard a very beautiful um, summary of what the purpose of monastic life is. It was saying, the purpose of every monastic's life 
is to offer a repentance to God worthy of the love with which He has loved me. I don't know if that's only for monks and nuns, but I think I would like to extend that to myself. I think I would like to make the purpose of my life to offer a repentance to God that is worthy of the love with which He has loved me. So when I see the fullness of His love for me, I will also be able to say, Lord, have mercy, and mean it from all my heart, and be able with complete confidence, without a shadow of a doubt, to cast myself completely in His arms, knowing that He is merciful. So the church is trying to prepare you and to prepare me for that experience through baby steps. Baby steps. You know, not the full revelation of the love of God and the full revelation of all of my life all in one go. But God is revealing Himself to us and giving me a revelation of myself a little bit at a time. And that as I understand it, is a summary or an introduction to what this life of repentance is. If we look at the the word repentance in Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, we'll find that it is a compound word, metanoia. Maybe we've spoken about this before, we'll just speak about it briefly, right? Meta, change. Noia comes from, it's a derivative of of another word, which is nous, oftentimes when it's transliterated N-O-U-S, right? And noose means, the the simple translation for that is mind. So if we were going to take a very literal translation, we would say that repentance is a change of mind. However, the word noose means more than just the mind with which you think and you make decisions. In fact, if if you read a little bit about what the fathers say about the noose, You'll you'll see noose here, not the noose like the thing that they hang people with, right? But noose here, the Greek word for mind, right? And I'm purposefully using the word, the Greek word rather than the English word, because when I say mind, that means something to you already. But if I say noose, that doesn't mean anything to you, so we can kind of give it a definition. Basically, when the fathers write about it in regards to spiritual life, they usually refer to it as kind of like the eye of the soul. It's it's, it's what allows your soul to perceive things around you. So, um, you know, have you ever been, you know, had a, woken up on the right side of the bed and you're having a really good day and somebody spills coffee on you on the office and you're going to say, oh, that's okay, don't worry about it. And then this bad thing happens and then that bad thing happens and nothing seems to faze you and somebody says to you, oh, you're just wearing rose-colored glasses today. Right, So you're just seeing the world through this positive lens. That really kind of captures my understanding, at least, of what the word noose is. Noose, the noose is the, the eye of the soul. It's, it's the lens through which we perceive everything that comes to us. Right. So like a really good example of why this is so incredibly important is if you look at, for example, um, the, the children of Israel leaving the leaving Egypt, right? So the children of Israel, to leave Egypt, God did a whole bunch of plagues. Every time he would do a plague, the Israelites would jump for joy because the Israelites would think, oh, great, Pharaoh is going to definitely give in. All these frogs are definitely going to make Pharaoh give in. These flies are... The Nile turned turned to blood. Definitely, 
Pharaoh is going to give in this time. And so every time God would do a plague, they would see it as the hastening, the, the coming of their freedom. So they would rejoice. The Egyptians, who also suffered the same plagues, would mourn. And they'd, they'd cry, and they'd go to Pharaoh, and they'd complain, and what are you going to do about all these flies, or these frogs, or the locusts, or whatever, or the river Nile being turned to blood. The river Nile was turned to blood for, for everybody. But to some, it was a source of rejoicing, and to some, it was a source of... Of, of mourning. It depends on what, what glasses you are looking at this reality. So as we go through our lives, we may experience something and someone else may experience something else and our experiences may be completely different of the same occurrence, of the same, of the, of the same thing that's happening. And that's you know, and that's what Jesus was talking about in today's gospel. And I didn't kind of perseverate on it in the sermon upstairs because I knew I was going to talk about it here. When Jesus says this in Matthew 6, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light in you is, which is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. You know when we have like a, like, like a night of freezing rain and you don't realize and you run out in the morning. I, I, this is, I guess, my reality. Maybe it's not yours. I park on the street, right? And my car is covered in, in an inch thick of ice, you know? And I run out and I'm going to be late and I figure to myself, I have this crazy delusion that I'm going to be able to drive without spending time to clean my windshield. What naturally happens? I start moving and I realize I can't see I can't see anything, right? Repentance, repentance is, is stopping <laughs> to clean my windshield so that I can see, so that I can, so that I can see clearly, so that I can see things as they are, not as I am currently seeing them right now, not distorted as I'm seeing them as I'm seeing them right now. So think of, when you think of repentance, have the image kind of like of what's on the screen, you know, like this person who's not wearing their glasses and then they wear their glasses, right? Uh, you know, they, they, you know if, if, you, if you are uh, far-sighted, did I say that right? I always get them confused, right? If you need glasses to see things that are far away, right? Think of like when you don't have your glasses on versus when, when you put them on. Or, or, or think of like the pink, the pink glasses kind of thing or the, the windshield analogy, whatever, right? That repentance, repentance is an, uh, adjusting the perception of my soul to be able to see things as God sees them. To be able to say about them what God says about them. And this is critically important because in Isaiah, he says, Cursed are the people who call good evil and evil good. And the people who call black white and white black. Sometimes we think it's creativity to, to uh, find a, you know, a, a creative way of describing something as what it's not. You know, God doesn't think it's creative. God thinks it's cursed. God thinks it's cursed. If it's bad, it's bad. And if it's good, it's good. God is really simple. God, as I have encountered Him and been introduced to Him through others, is incredibly simple. Not stupid. Simple. Yes is yes. No is no. Love your enemies actually means love your enemies. Right? I've promised you eternal life actually means I have promised you eternal life. It doesn't mean some convoluted thing with a whole bunch of conditions. And it just means, he just means what he says. 
And if you are one of those really straightforward people, yes is yes, no is no, you'll know exactly what I mean right now. It's really frustrating when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't have, nothing is yes, nothing is no to them, everything is a shade of gray, right? I don't think God gets frustrated with us the way that we sometimes get frustrated with others, right? But God is very simple and very clear. And repentance is allowing myself to step out of my perception and slowly move into His perception to be able to see things as they are. When I was in Egypt this last trip, I, uh, I asked uh, this really holy man, like, like I, I, he was one, somebody I'd asked a long time ago where I could get relics of saints, you know, for the church and so on. And he, he had answered me at that time, why do you want relics? And I said, like, what do you mean? He goes, like, just ask the saints and they'll come to you. I said, like, like what do you mean? He goes like, he goes, he's a really simple man. He says, every night I go in my room and I get scared from the dark. So I cry out, just like, I cry out, like, like a term, a, a term of endearment for St. Mary, often given, is said in Arabic, is like, O Mother of Light, would be the translations. He says, O Mother of Light. And St. Mary comes and fills the room with light. And he's saying it like it's just a normal thing. He's saying like, what, like, why are, you, why are you on this treasure hunt for like, like, so like some fingernail clipping of St. George or something? Just ask St. George and he'll come visit you. Like there's, no, there's nothing complicated about it. So I'm, I'm, I met him, that was like five years ago or something. So I met him when I was in Egypt just for four days recently. And I asked him, you know, how's St. Mary and so on? And just, do, do you still get scared at night? And he said, yes, and so on. And we had a really nice conversation. And I told him, how, how is it that some people see the saints and others don't? He goes, I don't know. Maybe we just need to pray and ask God to open our eyes to see the things that are, are already there. Rather than constantly praying and asking God to change things. You know, like instead of asking God, God, please send me St. Mary. Maybe I just need to pray and say, Lord, open my eyes to see. To see the reality which is already there. And that's, that's what repentance is. So repentance is this change of mind. Pope Shenouda talks about how repentance is a return. God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord in Malachi chapter 3. Right? So take this promise in hand as we go on this journey of, of looking at what this life of repentance could look like. Take this promise in hand that God, you have promised, you promised that if I return to you, if I try, if I do what I know how to do to return to you, you will also return to me. Right? There's beautiful promises. There's, there's way, way too much to, to pack into six weeks, uh, to, into a six-week series. But Jesus also says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus also says, that no one who comes to me I will by any means cast out, right? So, also, repentance is an awakening. Repentance is an awakening. Sometimes, you know, I think to myself, you know that kind of like philosophical question, don't take it too far, you'll get lost in existentialism, right? But, like, is this life the reality and my dreams the dream? Or maybe my dreams are what's real and this life is like, maybe this is all like a dream and I'm going to wake up at some point, right? 
we were sharing in a Bible study like uh, last week. On Tuesday night, we just sit around after the liturgy and pray and share together and so on, right? And we were sharing about what St. Paul says, that what everything that is seen is temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Like, think about it. I want you to find one thing here that you can see that is going to be, as you see it now, in the kingdom of heaven. Right? You can't. There's your, your, there's your soul and your spirit. Those, those will, you know, God willing, will see, you, will see you all in the kingdom of heaven. Right? But I can't see that. I see your body. I see some food on the table. I see, you know, lovely furniture and all of this. But all of this, St. Peter tells us, all the elements will burn with fervent heat. But the things which are not seen, those are the things that are eternal. So I want to ask you a question. If waking up is going from sleep to a state of consciousness, of being awake, what is, what is waking up in relation to what St. Paul says? It's almost, it's almost closing my eyes, closing my eyes to the things which are, which are seen, that I might have some room in my head to think about the things that are eternal. That's what fasting is all about, that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Fasting is a divesting myself of, of the physical and material things that I may be filled with the spiritual things. Right? Fasting and almsgiving are, are an emptying, and prayer is a receiving from God. Right? And that's why Jesus buddies fasting and prayer, and that's why we spoke with as much conviction as I could, that it's, it's, it's not terribly useful, it's not very helpful to fast without prayer. It's to empty yourself without, fill, without allowing yourself to be filled, right? But in this sense, repentance is an awakening, an awakening to the fact that, hold on a second, this, 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 this promotion I'm chasing after, this, this, you know, trying, these days I'm trying to teach my daughter how to read, you know, and uh, she read the word God the other day. I was over the moon, you know, I was like, you know, it's, it's almost like I had won the lottery, you know, I was so happy, right? You know, like, news to, news to John, she's going to learn how to read, at some point, you know what I mean? By the time she's six or she's eight or she's 10 or hopefully, you know, before she's 20, she'll know how to read, you know what I mean, right? And whether she learned how to read, I mean, there's studies that say this and studies that say that. When she was like just shy of three or when she was five or six, I don't know if it makes a difference. I'm not convinced that it does, right? It's all going to come out in the wash, right? So we work towards all of these things, that seems so precious in the moment. But St. Paul is telling us they're going to come out in the wash. Let's wake up. Like, like the Pauline today in Romans 13 was saying, wake up because your salvation is nearer than you ever thought. In, in the Gospel today, it says, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Okay. I have my iPad and I don't know what to do with it because I don't have a stand for it. I want to put it on the piano next to me here. Can I put it on the piano next to me here? No, I can't. Why? Because the piano is too far away. If, if I was at, at what distance would I be able to put my iPad down on the piano? If it is at, what, what's this, what distance is this called? Arm's length, right? You know? 
right? Because it's at arm's length now, guess what? There it is. And look, I can reach and I can take it back. When Jesus says, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven, what principle is underlying that? Is that the kingdom of heaven is at arm's length. Is at arm's length. That holy man I spent some time with, uh, just a few, just, just a couple of hours with, would laugh if he heard me saying that the kingdom of heaven is our arm's length. Tell you, didn't you never heard Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is within you? That God is in your very breath. God is as close to you as your very breath. But here I am chasing this and chasing that and chasing this project and chasing that. And God, sometimes the last thing on my mind, isn't it not, is it not time for me to wake up and realize what is valuable, what is precious, what is eternal and what is not? Repentance is an awakening. This is the verse from the Pauline today. And do this knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Think of like Jesus was saying today in the, in, 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 in the gospel. He was saying today to lay up our treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And he was saying, give me your treasures. For, for safekeeping, I will keep them for you. Saying, t- telling us, what is your treasure? And, and, the, and the Pauline, the church is telling us through the, the, the word, the, the, the tongue of St. Paul, w- to wake up and realize that our salvation is closer than we ever imagined. Jesus is closer to us than we ever imagined. The first thing Jesus said when he preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand, is at at arm's length. Repentance is an awakening. The prodigal son, the prodigal son, we're going to talk a lot about him later, but today just briefly, it says that he came to himself. He came to himself. He realized, I am like, I'm like trying to beg little pods off the pigs. Like the food belongs to the pigs and I'm begging the pigs so I could have some. And my father's servants have more than enough food and to spare and I don't know what to do with it. He realized that this is insanity. This is insanity. What am I doing begging for food from pigs? Pigs at the, in Jesus' time were like uh, an unclean animal. Like it was like they were like the worst of the worst. So I'm begging from like whatever, the worst thing you could think of in society. Repentance is passage from slavery into freedom. All of us have our addictions. I'm convinced. I haven't read this in a book. This could be wrong. This could be, you know, my own little heresy. That God has an addiction. That being created in the image and likeness of God, I've learned addiction from God. Except I'm addiction, I, I'm, I'm, I'm addiction, I'm addicted. We speak English good here. <laughs> I'm addictioned to food, to, to, to lust, 
to this, to that. I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to all of those things. God is addicted to something completely different. God, as far as I can tell, is addicted to glory. Not His own glory, but glorifying you. It tickles Him silly when He sees you exalted, when He sees you lifted up. God wants to set me free, to set me free from my addictions, where I can't say no to a cheeseburger. He wants to set me free from my addictions, that I can't, I can't get this self-deprecating thought out of my head. I can't get this, this doubt or this fear out of my heart, out of my head. I'm enslaved to certain things. Maybe they're physical, maybe they're emotional, psychological, maybe they're spiritual. God wants to set me free and, ma- and make me addicted to His glory, to just seeing Him in His glory. Repentance is a passage. Like the children of Israel pass through the Red Sea, and they pass through the Red Sea from, from slavery into freedom. God wants you and me to have that same journey, that same passage, this Holy Lent. I tell you the truth, the church is so wise. The very beginning of Midnight Praises, there is one of the longer hymns, you know, it's like longer, it's like five minutes, right? Is the song of Moses, the song of praise of Moses as they pass through, pass through the sea. I think the church has put that there, or my personal contemplation is that I come to Midnight Praises with the whole week behind me. And I'm worried about this, and this didn't go quite the way it was supposed to, and I don't know what I'm going to do about this, and and all of these things are on my mind. And I stand there, and I sing from all my heart that you made a path where there was no path. From the bottom of the sea, you made a path. An untrodden road was walked upon. All the doors that look closed to me are going to stay closed. But the little piece of wall between the two doors, that's the path you're going to make for me. We were contemplating yesterday with uh, one of you lovely people that sometimes we think that God you know, that is able to change our setbacks into, into progress. God doesn't even look at our, what we call setbacks. He doesn't even look at them as setbacks. He looks at them as something that He can use to make something great. Like, when I fall in sin, God doesn't say, oh, geez. I mean, He's a good kid. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm sure He's going sure to get over this. God sees when I fall in sin, He says, that's great. Not that He wants me to fall in sin. This is not an excuse to fall in sin. That's great. Now I know when He repents, He's going to be so compassionate towards other people who fall in the same sin. We'll be able to use John to, 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 to reel people out of the pit of that sin because He'll never judge them because He'll know that He was just there the other day. It'll be obvious to Him that like, hey, you know, all the people who fall in this sin, they're not bad people. They just got tricked. You know, they just tripped up and they fell in that pit. He doesn't, God doesn't look at anything as bad. He sees our victory and He sees our freedom. But when I'm in the pit, I don't see that. 
and I'm, I'm, and, and, and I'm sure maybe, maybe you don't either, right? And that's okay. That's okay. But I want to share with you, I want to share with you a little bit like about what this journey of repentance can be. Finishing up, repentance is a purifying fire. Find Isaiah standing before the throne of God and the realization he has, I think the realization I would certainly have is, woe is me, I am undone. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst people of unclean lips. And a seraphim flies over to him with a live coal which I had taken with tongs from the altar and touches his mouth and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. God is delighted. God is delighted to share His glory with us. And the immediate product of that is my realization of how I'm at a loss of words, right? Unglorious I am. How I'm so much different than God. But that's okay. Because He has a solution for that as well. That's repentance as well. St. Isaac says, the sacrifice of repentance that we present to God is the heart which has repented concretely and has been broken through tears of prayer before God, asking for forgiveness for his weak nature. It's enough for me to go to God and tell him, Lord, I did this sin out of weakness. Forgive me. That's enough. final statement, Pope Shenouda says, and, and um, there's a whole letter by St. John Chrysostom about this, called uh, the secondary virginity. So, Repentance makes virgins of adulterers. What a glorious, what a glorious journey we're just starting on now. Repentance is resurrection, which is the, our journey of Lent, right, is a journey towards the resurrection. What's resurrection? It's going from death to life. What's repentance? It's going from sin to holiness. Repentance is how I live out my day-to-day resurrection in Christ and how I share that, how I share that with Him. I'm going to share with you a beautiful prayer of repentance. Sometimes I want to repent and I don't know how. And that's going to be our, that's going to be our topic, not next week, but the week after. Next week is going to be motivations to repent. The week after that is going to be how to repent. Very specific um, tools and ways. But I want to share something with you before, before then because that seems so far away. There's lots of beautiful prayers of repentance in Scripture. This is one. Um, it's called the Prayer of Manasseh. Just to give you a little bit of context, Manasseh was a king. Um, his father was a wicked king. And uh, um, he was a wicked king. He was so wicked. Sorry, his father was a good king. His father was Hezekiah. His father removed all of the places of idol worship and he restored the worship of God and he took away, he took away all of the idols, but he didn't destroy the places where they worshipped them. So they'd go up on the hills and they'd make like altars there. So he removed the, 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 the idols, for example, but he didn't remove the altars kind of thing. So what did Manasseh do, his son? He came and he restored idol worship. And he did all these horrible things. And he did that for like 15, 20 years. And God sent him prophets to warn him and tell him, you're going to get taken away in captivity. And he didn't listen. 
for like 15, 20 years. And then, lo and behold, the nation of Israel gets attacked and he gets taken away in captivity. And they put him in stocks and throw him in the prison. And he remembers his righteous father. And he prays a prayer of repentance. Let's share with you this, this prayer of repentance. The whole book is only one chapter. This whole book in the, in the Bible. It's the last book in the Old Testament in the Deuterocanonical books. Like so, if, if you have the full Old Testament, um, it's, the last, it's the last book. You'll find this for an in Coptic reader if, if you want it, right? Right before the Gospel of Matthew. O Lord Almighty, God of our fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of their righteous seed, you who made heaven and earth with all their adornments, you have bound the sea by the word of your command, who have shut up the deep and sealed it with your fearsome and glorious name. You at whom all things shudder and tremble, for unbearable is the magnificence of your glory, and not to be withstood is the anger of, the, of your threat towards sinners. And the unmeasurable and inscrutable is your mercy, is the mercy of your promise. For you are the Lord Most High, compassionate, patient, and merciful, repenting from the evil deeds of people. You, O Lord, according to the fullness of your, of your clemency, promised repentance and forgiveness for those who have sinned against you in the fullness of your mercies. You have appointed repentance for sinners towards salvation. Therefore, you, O Lord, God of the righteous, have not given repentance for the righteous, for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who had not sinned against you. But you have given repentance for me, the sinner. For I have sinned more than the number of the sand of the sea. My lawless deeds are multiplied, O Lord, multiplied. And I am not worthy to look and see the heights of heaven because of the multitude of my unrighteous deeds. I am bent down by too many a bond of iron for the lifting up of my head because of my sins. And there is no relief for me. For I have provoked your wrath and done evil before you. I have set up abominations and multiplied provocations. And now I bend the knees of my heart begging for your clemency. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned. And I know my lawless deeds. I'm asking, begging you, forgive me, O Lord. Forgive me. Do not destroy me with my lawless deeds, nor for all the ages keep uh, keeping angry with me, nor condemn me to the depths of the earth. For you, O Lord, are the God of those who repent. And in me you will display your goodness. For my being unworthy, you will save me according to your great mercy. And I will praise you throughout all the days of my life. For all the power of the heavens sing your praise. For yours is the glory to the ages. Amen. You know what God does? For no good reason, I believe the emperor of Babylon, if I'm not mistaken, or Assyria, I can't remember, decides to send him back. He decides to send him back to his country. Does he, what, what, what would you do? Would you send him back? If you were God, and you were merciful, and you heard his prayer, you know, you'd maybe spare his life. The other kings, when they'd get taken away, they'd get their eyes plucked out, and then they would use them, like they wouldn't, they wouldn't kill them, they would, they would keep them around, you know what I mean? So they'd kind of parade them around, like, and they'd dress them up as slaves, and they'd have to walk around in chains in the, in the, 
in the capital city of the conquering nation, you know, like they'd ridicule them and they'd use it, they just, their whole life would be there to, to, to prove that this nation was victorious, right? God doesn't do that to Manasseh. He lets him go back to his country. Go back as what? As a, a farmer. You know, it would have been enough mercy that God spared him all of that humiliation, allowed him to keep his eyes, and let him be a farmer in his land. No, not as a farmer. Sends him back as king. He sends him back as king. And he goes back and he rules his nation once more. Repentant now. God wants to do the same for you and for me. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, indeed, indeed, you are the God of the repentant. You are the God of those who cry out to you with a broken heart, Lord. I don't know how to have that kind of broken heart, Lord. But please, Lord, in these coming weeks, set the example before us, Lord, to know how to have that broken heart that is so pleasing to you. And Lord, give, give us to see, give me to see, each one of us, Lord, that this is, this is what is, is correct and right, Lord, is for me to come and ask for your love and ask for your mercy and ask for your clemency and ask for you, Lord, to do as you have promised, Lord, to overlook all of my sins. Quite frankly, Lord, if you choose to do anything other than that, there is no hope. There is no hope for us. Lord, we throw ourselves completely upon you. We rely completely on you and on, on your love for us. In your mighty name we pray through the intercessions and prayers of St. Moses, St. Catherine, St. Mary, all the great saints, well-pleasing to you since the beginning. O God of the repentant, hear us as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. One. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom of God. Now the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.